Hello, welcome to the History Half Hour with Ryan and Jamie. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. And uh, today we're recording this on Saturday the 30th of October. And on this day in 1485, uh, Henry Tudor was crowned king. Ah. So first ever Tudor king after the War of the Roses. Father of Henry VIII and um, grandfather of his children. Um, <laughs> not his children, Henry VIII's children. <laughs> grandfather of his, <laughs> his own children. <laughs> that would be weird. Um, yes, the first Tudor king. The Tudor dynasty would rule for uh, until 1602. Three, uh, so that's quite quite yeah. a wise, you know, well, over a hundred years, and um, five royals, two Henrys and Edward, two queens. Yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. I know my numbers. I know <laughs> my can, my you monarchs. Can, you can count. That's how history's right there. I can count using anyway. Anyway, um, <laughs> that, that, that happened today in fourteen eighty five. And on this day in 1961, the Soviets detonated the Tsar Bomber, which is the largest nuclear weapon ever set off on um, on, on, on soil. On largest the... man-made explosion ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge, scary thing. Terrifying big, big. thing. Never used in war because no, most good. nuclear bombs haven't, apart good. from the original. The OGs. The, o- the, two, the two originals in, in Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki. What terrible things. <laughs> not, the, not Hiroshima and Nagasaki, I meant the... The bombs. I obviously was that not obvious. I think it was obvious. I, I mean, <laughs> I think you made it not obvious by then going. It's Good obvious. point. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, also on this day in 1938, Orson Well famously uh, produced um, H.G. Wells's War of the Worlds on radio, um, which which you know reduced re- re- uh, produced reports of of people panicking because they thought that Mars was actually invading. Which is hilarious. Yeah, that's really funny. I love that fact. Um, only, only, only in history. <laughs> like you can't write that. Yeah. You know, that's that's just beautiful. Um, that happened on this day. And on this day in 2003, LeBron James, who's an American basketballer, um, he made his debut. He made his NBA debut with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Ah, really cavalier attitude towards life. Um, <laughs> sure. 80, that was when we were born, wasn't it? 2003. Yeah. 2003. Although. 2003, I was born at this point, but you weren't yet on No, I October was still... Um, You've in, got almost, in, a, yes. almost a month left. Just uh, just less than a month. Yeah. Before yeah. I would be born. Anyway, that's enough about you being born. Um, this is not a sentence I thought I'd ever say, but I've said it now. I mean, th- that's the third time you've said that today, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, today we're doing another one of those uh, sort of things where I teach Jamie and hopefully you learn something as well. Because um, Jamie is, and I think we can all agree... An idiot. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm really joking. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I've read a book. Um, I'm I'm as proud as I as you are. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Um, this is specifically Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, which is an incredible. I really urge you to read it. It's very good. It's also quite short. Um, sure, I, it's uh, really good. I'm sarcastically like clapping. Um, go back to that. Yeah. it's when someone's like, "Oh, good job. Do you want a medal?" Yeah. Yeah, yes, love them. Yes, Thanks. I do. <laughs> Present one to me now. You can't do that. Gladly. <laughs> I will accept them. Give me a medal. They give them out the Olympics. They are great. Okay, <laughs> give me one. Um, so, uh, yes. So, Frankenstein by Mary Shetty, or The Modern Prometheus, as its other title. Uh, it's very, very good and surprising. I suppose how good it was, I think, because, Jamie, give me a description of what you think of when you think of Frankenstein. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a doctor. It's yeah, no, no, as in like the story, like oh. what happens? What, what um, do you say happens? Well, there's from your own knowledge. A, a crazy. You sa- haven't read it, have you? I'm just no. checking. No. Or what? He can't film. read. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize that was a secret. <laughs> we agreed. <laughs> um, it's the story of a, a mad scientist named Doctor Frankenstein who creates a monster 
and then the monster wants love. I guess he sees a girl I mean, and then he drowns her in a lake. I think happens at some point or crushes her. One of the two. An interesting. I might uh, be thinking of of mice and men, but <laughs> <laughs> that was a mouse. Um, no, it was a rab- girl. There was no, no, he did. Yeah, there was a girl who yes, good. That's another quite good book actually. Very um, good book. How arrogant as I just sound. John Steinbeck's classic novel of mice and men is quite good. <laughs> all right, possible. <Yeah>. We tried. <laughs> Actually, do you know the first manuscript for Vice and Man was was eaten by his dog Toby. Oh no! Um, anyway, uh, I'd okay. love it if, if it was like coming out and he'd written the book and he said that. And I was like, oh yeah, but like I could presume you know you worked on it and you know the story that came out of it was a much better story than you had. And he's like, no, no, it's worse. So good. I just couldn't remember it. I remember <laughs> it just being amazing. It was the best book ever. But now it's only possible. Couldn't to ride Ray Miller. <laughs> um, so yes. Um, the the but it's actually quite quite close in a lot of details. Okay, but here's a here's a question. Um, is the monster what color is the monster? Uh, that you, that you gr- think I of? mean, green would be stereotypically. Yeah. I presume the, and the way you phrase that. Can he talk? As in, just go completely stereotypical. I just wanted to prove a point. Can he talk? Yes. But it, like eloquently. Or oh just really no! It's like yes, like a uh, few words. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is a really interesting point that I wanted to make, and I forced Jamie to look like the fool because he's all wrong. I'm joking. Not good. he's wrong about the two questions that I very leadingly asked him, but it was on purpose because um, the Hollywood Frankenstein is completely different from the book, and yeah. actually, I think quite criminally different. It's really quite because the book is beautiful in how somber and reflective it is, and how it's got these gorgeous um, soliloquies about life and death and about um what what it means to be human and who is the real monster i mean the the uh, the, the the really really good um uh, version they did play they did directed by danny boyle um quite a few years ago now uh, i think it was a national theater production um and they had the one that bendick Benedict Cumberbatch and johnny lee miller they'd swap roles because they played yes. Victor Frankenstein and the monster or the, or the creatures as it's yeah. called they swap roles every night to kind of emphasise the point that we, when you read the novel you don't actually know who is the monster you know you, it, there's, the novel's told I won't go too much into the story sorry too much into the um, book itself because it's more about the context which is we focus on today because that's the historical part of it yeah. as of course it is a fiction um, but what's interesting is it's told in uh, by three narrators one is a, a, a captain of a vessel in the uh, Arctic um, who finds who who, who uh, kind of rescues Victor Frankenstein because he's chasing the creature. I remember the, from watching the National Theatre one, which I forgot, I completely forgot <laughs> I had watched, but I have watched that, um, the, the, the train, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, just thought I'd mention that. It's cool. Cool train. Cool train. Watch it. It's got a cool train. Review from Jamie. Jamie. <laughs> Um, so, uh, and then it, it, and then it, and then Victor Frankenstein does quite a bit of it because he's telling the story, uh, quite an amazing yeah. story to um to the captain. And then quite a big chunk is uh, actually by the creature itself, who beautiful speaks eloquently, or Shakespearean sometimes, um, which is really really interesting because yeah we're so used to the, you going fire or bad you know yeah. just this sort of. Uh, he, he's he's actually quite nimble as well. He doesn't just stomp around. He's huge. He's like seven feet tall or something, eight feet tall, um, but he's got yellow skin stretched over his sort of, um, you know, deformed face and everything because it's yeah. from other people's faces. Which I've never fully understood why Frankenstein is made up of different body parts and then how he becomes eight feet tall from that <laughs> because humans aren't that tall. Like, it's a cool image, don't get me wrong. It's a very cool idea. Yeah. But also, would you not use the same dead body? Do you know what I mean? I guess, I guess it's like um, certain things 
it's probably yeah probably the explanation is like certain things worked better like i guess but still like like, like like if i was to reanimate a body which actually someone's tried to do in the past predating this book Oh, um, really? It's part of the inspiration for it, work? which I will get into. Oh, um, <laughs> yes, and he's here today. <laughs> um, this book came out, by the way, in 1818, so he's yeah, not, he would be ago. dead. It was a long, it was He was longer, already dead, and he would be extra dead. Um, longer ago than I thought it was. Yeah, no, I, know, I knew it was old, but I thought it was over like 200 that. years actually. 200 yeah, I, I, what was 203. So it's early, 200, like 1900s, not no, 1818. Yeah, it is the first people reckon. The first science fiction novel of all awesome. time. It's really good as well. Because it's the first novel where they use... This novel invented the idea of the mad scientist. Scientist wasn't a phrase yeah. at this point. It was science was a thing, but scientist was not an occupation. It was not a job. You were just sort of a man of science kind of thing. That yeah. was the idea. Um, smart dude. Smart dude, basically. But this invented the mad scientist character. Yeah. Which is now everywhere. You know, it's, it's, it's Rick and Morty, you know... To, to quote a modern reference that we both enjoy. To quote a modern um, reference. It's, it's all or over. inside job. Inside job is another mad side. But that would not exist if it wasn't for Frankenstein. That is crazy. Which is really cool, isn't yeah. it? Um, so, yeah, it's an incredible book. And this book is, like I said, brilliant. And, and the, the, um, the creature, who doesn't have a name, of course, people call him Frankenstein incorrectly, but part of that is actually kind of a, a credit to how good the story is in a weird way. Yeah. Because although everyone, I think it's quite a good pedant thing to do uh, to go. Actually, it's uh, the, the 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 doctor, not the not the monster, kind of thing, which is true. But the point about the book, part of the point about the book, is that it it blurs the line between who is who is the real victim and who's the monster. Yeah, that's that's the idea. So calling the monster Frankenstein is kind of playing into that in a weird way. Obviously. Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein is the main character as the as the scientist, and the monster doesn't have a name. His name is the creature. Um, he was supposed to be Adam because he was supposed to be like that, you know, the religious, uh, the first man because he's the first man to come back kind yeah. of thing. After Lazarus, of course, if you believe in the and Jesus, uh, if no Lazarus, no Lazarus raised someone from the dead. Did he did he come back from the dead? Or did he? I can't. I, d- I haven't read it. Um, it's been a while. Jesus did though come yes. back from the dead. I do know that. Um, it's like the second and there's a few obviously religious. Of, why is it the second coming of Christ? Because he'd come back to life, so surely that was his second coming. Oh, I guess I don't know. I do, I I I feel like I feel like they they obviously got something wrong. It's like <laughs> this is such a strange analogy, but it's like WrestleMania, okay? <laughs> oh, really? um, because WrestleMania twenty five yeah. was advertised as the twenty fifth anniversary of WrestleMania, which it wasn't, <laughs> because your first WrestleMania was not your first anniversary of WrestleMania, so it was actually the twenty fourth. Anniversary uh, uh, of WrestleMania. Yeah. The 25th WrestleMania, but the 24th anniversary. Mm-hmm. So that was irritating. <laughs> um, and that's what I, I think that they must have just like got it wrong millennia ago, and it's just stuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into the let's get into the the, the backstory. And um, first of all, let's start with Mary Shelley as a person. Uh, uh, very self. She started writing this when she was 18. Years Whoa, old. Yeah. That's crazy. Finished it when she was 20. Uh, it's brilliant. I, I again, like I said, I, I really love this this book. Um, and so she, her life was interesting. She was, um, she had a, 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 an unusual life than most because her parents were political philosophers. Yeah. Uh, Mary Wollstonecraft, um, who is famous for writing, uh, one of the first feminist texts, really one of the most key uh. feminist texts, the vindication of the rights of women, um, which is still used today in a lot of ways to kind of suggest about women's rights and things because it's a vindication of the rights of women. Um, and so she was quite great. And um, 
And her father was uh, William Godwin. So her name was actually Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin yeah. before she married Percy Shelley. That's where Mary, the poet who was where Mary Shelley comes yes. from. Um, and uh, he was a, he was a political uh, philosopher, as I said, as well. And um, she had access to his library. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was very well read. Her mother uh, actually died in uh, childbirth or just, just after childbirth, which mm. is really quite sad, yeah. giving birth to Mary. Um, so she never knew her mum. And that plays into the novel in some ways. There's a lot in this about death. And I'll go into a bit more later uh, about the, 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 the circumstances around literally writing. Because context is a very interesting thing where you can look back hundreds of years for context. Like The Bible is context for a lot of literature and that yeah. is, of course, thousands of years. Um, but uh, what's interesting this one is that this has got context from around it and also directly in the right physical writing of it, what was happening at the time, plays into the novel. Which um, I don't come across. I'm not sure there is, but I don't come across it often. It's normally stuff that happens before, and then they write it into the novel instead yeah. as it happens, kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And they had um, they had this. Uh, his, her mother was was buried in some old St Pancras Church, uh, which is near to their house, which is called the Pentagon. I don't know the Polygon. The Pentagon is the building in America. Yeah. <laughs> the Polygon. Um, it's a shape. It's close, close. <laughs> a, pen- a Pentagon is a, is a polygon. polygon. So, yeah, um, so I, uh, yeah I'm, I'm basically right. Uh, I went in to say that and went, is it? <laughs> it just <laughs> doubted your year three maths for a second. <laughs> um, so, uh, and uh, they buried her. Um, and what's interesting, actually, at this time, uh, there were people who weren't rich or royalty didn't didn't have gravestones. Yeah, that's that's something. It was um. Uh, so actually, her father, who was so traumatized, obviously by the death of his wife. Yeah, I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, uh, he 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 put he put two willows trees. He planted two willows at her grave site. Um, and that's where him he would go with his daughter quite often to sort of uh, you know, as a, as a let's go trip out to mum's grave. Um, but you know. Wow, um, thanks, Dad. <laughs> but I mean, can we not go to Phil it was, Park? It was or? nicer than that, obviously. It was sweeter than that. Um, that was a very crude way of putting it. Uh, but he wrote a book, he published a book called An, Eth- an Essay on um, Sepulchres. I don't know how to pronounce that. I do apologise. I probably should have <laughs> researched a bit harder on that particular pronunciation. But um, and all it, what it was, it was quite interesting is it, it, um, it, it, it argued for the importance of graves for people of great importance like writers and artists and and things uh because as i said only royals and only people who could afford it had gravestones no no matter how famous they were if they died in poverty they didn't have a gravestone yeah which is interesting so he so his uh, his wife didn't have a gravestone mary's uh, mum didn't have a gravestone uh but yeah as i said she had access to his library so she was very well read incredibly well especially for a woman of her age and her um time period as well uh I'm really glad I carried on that sentence because in my head, I in my head as a woman of her age. No, in my head, I said especially for a woman. And then I should put there's probably a bit more there because I know what I mean, but that does sound that doesn't sound especially great for a woman. No, what I mean is at this time women weren't particularly educated yes, because they weren't. Most people weren't, and uh, and and her age, under the age of eighteen at this point because she started writing when she was eighteen. Yeah. This, this particular book, um, so under the age of eighteen, uh, she she was very well read. Um, and very very clever and she's actually enjoyed from a young age um writing fiction so it worked out quite well because she's written one of the greatest fictions of all time i'd i'd suggest yeah you know i think it's it's done quite well <laughs> um uh, and then uh actually percy shelley who was to be her husband the poet um he a romantic poet this is the part of the romantic movement mm-hmm. um he 
fell in love with her and he knew he knew he read both of her parents writings quite a bit like he liked them and he fell in love with her uh and i think he was actually married at the time which is Awkward. Awkward. Uh, and, and Love knows no bounds, as a romantic no- poet will tell you. Will tell you, yeah. Um, there's a lot of romantic poetry that we, uh, that I've studied, which is about... <laughs> it's not as crude as... Because predating romantic poetry, there was a lot of poetry where basically it was men convincing women to have sex with them. Yeah. With very interesting examples, whether that be, go on, or God thinks we should, whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, um, so it's a good sign. <laughs> but, the, but the romantics were a bit less crude. Bit we're still, not, I, I'm don't get me wrong. They were still quite crude in some ways, but they maybe they phrased it nicer. Yeah, but they had very similar intentions. Like there's, there's a one about she walks in beauty by Lord Byron, who is who we'll we'll get to later. But um, yeah, it's just sort of about he he, he loved this woman who was like his cousin's wife or something. <laughs> it was all about her. it's just a bit awkward. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, it's the kind of poem you read and you go, uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, they married when she was um, sixteen, actually. How old was he? Oh no 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 so no no he no he was he was in his early twenties. He died at uh, a young age. Um, he drowned uh, off the coast of Italy in eighteen twenty two, which is just after the book was released. Four years after the book was released. Yeah, of course. Um, but Did no. Uh, yeah, yeah, he. Um, I think he he contributed poetry to it. Actually, there's a few oh, poems awesome. in it. Like I said, he died young, as with most actually romantic poets did. Um, he died in uh, 1822, uh, drowned, uh, born in 1792. Only married so was, for, for six years. He was so. 30. Um, I think. Yeah, he was 30. Uh, so I, about a, a 10 year age difference between them. Yeah, there is. Uh, no, 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 no. She was born in um. Well, she was 18 in uh, 1816. So she was born oh. in 1898. Oh, it's not bad, bro. So And he was born in 1892. So that's six years. That's not bad. Yeah. That's not a bad age. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it uh, doesn't matter because there's nothing we do to change it. So, yes. <laughs> uh, yes. So they they married uh, when she was 16. Uh, and they, they, they really loved it. They were really, really loved each other. Um, very, very close. They wrote together, then traveled together. They did everything together. Um, including have a child, um, which I've heard you have to have, uh, especially at this time, another person for. I don't know why. It's crazy. But, um, you know, the, the stuff they come up with. Um, uh, when, they, when, they, when she was 18, as I said, they, in the summer of 1816, which was uh, an interesting thing about the Gothic here, uh, was called the summer with no... Uh, Nope. The year with no summer. Pretend oh, yeah. I did that right first time. The okay. year with no summer. Um, <laughs> which is... I'm sure no one heard the no one mistake. heard the the mistake. Um, so yeah, it, and what it was basically, so the volcano had erupted. Right, the the volcano had erupted um, of Mount Tamboro in Indonesia in April the, the year before 1815, mm. uh, and a, a ash cloud in the air, obviously. Yeah, I um, heard that. It's, it's one of the biggest volcano eruptions. I think so. Yeah, and it, and it, and it, and it yeah. made the next winter just grey and miserable. There was no yeah. sun at all, really. So um, in the summer, in the summer, anyway. in the summer. Um, the, well, they were in Geneva. They were in Switzerland. Oh, so I it, guess, it does yeah, get sunny there. Yeah, um, and and then it was so it was a horrible summer where it was all dark and gross and bleh, but very good for the Gothic. Um, and this is one of one of the, the kind of uh, classic Gothic novels. Yeah. Um, very macabre, you know, uh, as a, as a as a place to be. A very good place to inspire what they were doing, which was writing Gothic tales. Uh, so uh, they went to, um, as I said, they went to Geneva, 
um, mm-hmm. with her child, with her baby, uh, and Percy and Mary went there uh, with Claire uh, Claremont as well, which was her stepsister. Uh, and Lord Byron was there with his personal physician, uh, John William Polidori, uh, who actually was inspired. So, uh, actually, I'll get to that in a bit. I'm, I'm mixing up stuff up. I'm going to try a bit more linear. Um, so, actually, this is just after Napoleon had been defeated. Uh, literally oh, just wow. just after it, so much so that um, Lord Byron visited the battlefield at Waterloo on his way to to Geneva, uh, and he was at the Villa Diodati, um, which I per- hope I'm pronouncing right, um, which is uh, wh- where they re- where the story began. Um, yeah. Not literally because I started the story at the birth of Mary, Mary Shelley, Shelley. But, but the story of Frankenstein <laughs> began here um, because. Oh, you know, actually, I I think I know a bit of this. So yeah. they were in the, the the villa together, and then this strange woman and three of her friends appear, <laughs> and then someone called the Lone Cyberman, exactly. and then that's what inspires Frankenstein. That's right? Exactly it. Okay, exactly cool. It. I must admit, I I I found the episode a waste of um time. That, <laughs> but no, a waste of, of a good story. Because this is a great story and it, it could work yeah. really well with Doctor Who and I don't think it worked as no. well as it could have. Because they had to try... I mean, I don't want to go Doctor Who around, but they tried to punch it into the story that was already going on with Captain Jack. It's like, yeah. you, you're trying it too was... hard to relate it to something else that shouldn't have to. It was a mistake and shouldn't have happened. Anyway, um, so as I said, everyone was gone uh, and they went, so went to this um, villa and uh, it was obviously quite dark and dull, and the weather was awful because of the the year without summer. Mm. Um, and so, Lord Byron suggested that they tell ghost stories. They all they all try and tell a ghost story, and um, Shelley was inspired to tell one. And apparently, everyone else's ghost story was a bit naff. Yeah, a bit alright. Uh, although um, Lord Byron's was. Uh, Used by uh, his doctor Polidori, who was actually who came from an artistic uh, background and literary family, um, although he trained in medicine in Edinburgh, and he was a doctor, obviously. Um, and he dissected bodies from grave robbers, uh, and those grave robbers was a quite an interesting part of the story, which I will also get. To. There's a lot of facets to this, which yeah. unfortunately don't have a very good sort of timeline because they all could have happened at different times, but <laughs> add to the story. Um, so I should have probably organised this better, but it's all good. Um, uh, uh, and and so the the story that Byron told later became John Polidori wrote it into the Vampire, which is the first we, people reckon is the first English language story about a vampire, predating oh. um, Dracula for quite for quite some years. I think like eighty years or That's something. Awesome. Um, so yeah, it, it's pretty cool. So yes, they they they, they have these tales of terror, um, and they she was inspired by she kind of had this vision. I think she said about the vision of this. Um, uh, this sort of scientist or this this man of science n- next to uh what he'd seen um uh, it was sort of i think the, uh, i've got a quote here where she says i saw the pale student of an unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together i saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out and then on the working of some powerful engine show signs of life and stir which already is pretty yeah. creepy, isn't it? I and mean, the if book that's is... not the blood for Frankenstein, I know, right? Um, <laughs> but she like she just she she had that in her in her head, uh, and then and then and then she wrote it. She got to tell it to them, and they were very impressed, and said, "You should write this." Um, and then she did, and it became incredibly successful. Um, but uh, uh, but she 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 referred to conversations she heard um, Shelley and Byron talking about because they would have these long overdrawn conversation because they're artists they're very arty and all oh, everything's so amazing and clever um <laughs> and uh, the uh she would listen 
to them talking um because it's the easiest way to listen to someone when they're talking yes. it's really easy to do that you should know you're a podcast listener thank you very much for listening um and uh, so I was just not paying attention that's what they hear <laughs> <laughs> um so they talked to the experiments of dr darwin um who had preserved uh, preserved a piece of um uh, vermicelli uh or i think that's how it's pronounced again in a glass case um and it began to move with voluntary motion uh but this dr darwin is erasmus darwin who's charles darwin's grandfather which is an interesting oh, wow, fact yeah. that is awesome yeah one's in the family being clever apparently yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, uh, and i love it because he was he was a medical poet sorry, a medical doctor and a poet i don't know if he was a medical poet um medical and he was also poet. a botanist and herbalist uh, well, so you know that you know that idea that like nowadays people have several jobs but back in the day people would only have one job for the whole life apparently not apparently people not. do loads of jobs <laughs> like, well to be fair Erasmus they Darwin. had the money to just do any job when they got bored of whatever true. they were doing that is very true and that's what happened really yeah. um, uh, uh, there was the things about um, uh, he, uh, so there were things about the glass cases uh, the glass case was was suggested by the glass coffins um, uh, seen in continental churches actually uh, which contained body parts of, uh, ca- of relics of catholic saints the majority of which maybe all of which I don't know but definitely the majority of which are fake they yes. just are because um, I think there's a there's like something about being hundreds of St Andrew's index finger or something yeah. like that and you're like he didn't have that many index fingers so it's physically impossible so there's definitely are some fakes whether they're all fakes or not is another question but they are definitely some fakes um, that's not the point though uh, so uh, they were they kept in these these, these coffins uh, and uh uh, and yeah, so there's a lot of so this this then relates. To, I'm getting there. It's very slowly to my point about death and about um grave robbing actually, which was a big thing at the time yes. because uh, there was a there was a law in I believe uh, the 1700s. Um, uh, I can't quite remember. There's a, there's a law about uh, medical science and about how um, bodies being cut up really uh, because. You couldn't do it. You could only do it to to a, a murder murderer. Yeah. So that was added to a murderer's sentence. Um. Added to a murderer's sentence was the uh this law, which said that a murderer would um would be killed, uh, and then also uh would be dissected as further punishment. Well, that's as uh, I guess probably before this, but it was a big thing. Was um they would offer up rewards for bodies. Um, um, I'm getting, I'm getting to that. So, what, yeah. so what they do, basically, what they do, so they, you can only dissect the body of a murderer yeah. because they were like that was a, pun- a further punishment to their body, kind of thing. Because they, they, they'd, they'd forgive, forgiven all right, there's so it's um, foregone all rights to be treated humanely, kind of thing. Yeah, um, is what they reckoned, and so they did that. But especially in the Napoleonic Wars, they needed more doctors, and that's the way you train doctors is get them to cut up body parts at this point in time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the only way really to do it. Um, so there was not enough body, there's not enough murderers basically yeah. to to fill the amount of students, even for London. Never mind the rest of the country, because Edinburgh was of course a big place uh, with a lot of um, a lot of uh, uh, very good medical school medical school. So um, people would would start paying grave robbers to dig up freshly buried graves and then give them to give them cadavers so they could uh, to experiment on and use for students and things. Uh, most famously, Birkenhair. Um, not the only ones by far not the only ones many people yeah. did it was a very lucrative industry actually at this point point. Um, and 
so it's very so there's a lot about you know there's a lot around the victorian era which is about the gothic because it was quite gross and quite actually there's not my mistake we're not actually quite in the victorian era yet uh that's i think 1837 she becomes yeah. queen um but you know the the there's 19th century um there's a lot about the gothic and the macabre because there's a lot about death and um and and you know they they, they this is a time when they weren't certain of people dying you know they they, they thought maybe raising from the dead was possible uh, and actually there's this quite there's this quite wonderful thing about um uh, w- William Hawes, two doctors, William Hawes and uh, Thomas uh, Cogan, uh, set up the Royal Humane Society in London in 1774, which is called the Society, it was originally called the Society of the Recovery of Persons Apparently Drowned. <laughs> nice, snappy title. Um, and it was it was about safety. It was about, about safety and, uh, and convincing other people to resuscitate people who have drowned. Because many people couldn't swim this time, even if they worked like near the Thames. They, yeah. they, they still couldn't. Um, and they... they they saved people from the rivers and canals and things and, and brought them back to life. And they, they, they offered actually rewards for trying to save people and a higher reward for actually, actually saving, saving people. Them, yeah. um, and uh, uh, they, they, they reckon actually they, they, would have, they, they included people who were trying to commit suicide as well. So that has its grey area of moral ambiguity there. Yeah. Um, and actually one of them, quite interestingly, I think, is uh, Mary Wollstonecraft, Mary's mother. Mary Shelley's mother committed su- uh, tried to commit suicide by jumping off uh, Putney Bridge mm. into the Thames uh, while she was depressed. Um, and uh, uh, she was revived. And then she said after the... Which is, uh, I think, a good thing because then she gave birth to Mary Shelley. And, and we got Frankenstein from it. Um, and many, many other things that have led from that. Led from that. So um, I'm glad that they were revived, that she was revived. Like also, Hotel just because Transylvania. <laughs> <laughs> the most important piece of cultural of, phenomena. Of course. Uh, but no, she said afterwards, I have only to lament that what the bitterness of death was past, I was inhumanely brought back to life and misery. Which is, <laughs> that sums up 2020, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's quite, I just think that's quite a weird thing. Uh, so that influenced Mary, yeah. um, the idea of life and death and revivement, obviously. And there's also these two ideas um, of incomplete and absolute death, which appeared in, in the French Encyclopédie. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um because as a difference, because there's sort of like the appearance of being dead and being dead. Um, because, but at this time it's very difficult to discern the two because they didn't have heart monitors and the pulse check isn't very reliable yeah. for death. You know? So, um, it, uh, it was based off the, uh, James Curry, who's a physician uh, in London and actually one of the Shelley's doctors, the Shelley's, the, the couple, one of their doctors uh, in 1817. And he, he wrote a book uh, about absolute death and apparent death and the difference between them. Uh, and there, it, it talks about the states of su- suspended animation, as it were, which is fainting, a coma or sleeping, which apparently are quite convincing to be dead. And yeah. it, you, know, you may have seen this is the time where, um, you know, people uh, would be buried with bells mm-hmm. attached to their fingers to ring... Um, you know, to ring if they weren't actually dead. Which I don't think ever happened. I think it did happen. I think it was a widespread thing. I think if it did happen, it yeah. Only thing is, those things would be very flawed in the wind because that would be terrifying. Just a line of corpse, line of graves, just ringing out. Oh no, those are alive. I mean, how do you think zombie stories were created? Right? I know, right? Actually, the "it's alive" thing isn't real, which is a shame. It doesn't appear in the book. How? Um, it doesn't surprise me. How yeah. it happens in the book? That was that was written for the 1931 film. Yeah, yeah. Um, interestingly, the, the, the re-release, the, she released um, Frankenstein in, in 1831, so 100 years later they made a film, which I think is quite interesting. Anyway, um, they, 
how how it happens in the book is he he creates it and then is immediately disgusted by what he's done and the creature sort of like opens its eyes yeah and he's just like this is disgusting and, and walks out it's the you know it's the kind of um like you know you go to do something and you're like oh blah blah, blah and then you do it like if you're buying something you're like I know I shouldn't buy this <laughs> and then you buy it and you what an go, interesting analogy and then you immediately go, I shouldn't have brought this Mars bar I shouldn't have brought this body back to life ah oh, what am I like. <laughs> Oh well, I guess I'm. I mean, in the same way, it was like just like the walk away. It stuff. seemed like a good idea, and then as soon as you don't, you're like, that was why did I do that? This? Was a this terrible idea. Yeah. Um, I hate Mars bars. Why do I buy one? And actually, speaking of the science of it, because there's a lot of science behind the book. She was very well read in science. She's very up to date in the science world, partly through her father. Um, and uh, uh, there's a thing called galvanism, which 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 she she herself has said inspired her. Um, and it was uh, Luigi Galvini, uh, Gal- Galvani, sorry. Um, he 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 could make frogs' legs twitch, the dead frogs' legs twitch uh, as if they were alive. If he if he put some electricity through them, the current through them, which of course I know is just the the nervous system in them. It is, yeah, it is, but it's just quite it's quite an interesting trick, and this is the first time yeah. it's sort of done, um, predating the novel. Uh, and it was his name was Galvanism, and actually his um his own nephew Galvin Galvan Gal, sorry Galvani's nephew Giovanni Aldini. Uh, he went from frogs' legs to trying to reanimate a hanged criminal um, so a murdered murderer yeah. um i think it was was uh, I, I, that was it. so the the, the um the murder act of uh, 1752 i knew it was 1700 i thought it was 1750s and i was right um, well done me the murder act of 1752 um which uh, which said that dissection was added to the punishment of of of, of being put to death um and uh he Apparently, in 1803, he was able to experiment with with some success on George Foster, who'd been found guilty of murdering his wife and child. And apparently, his, his eye opened, uh, uh, his right hand was raised and clenched, and his legs moved. It is weird that they would crazy. choose to reanimate a murderer, because then it's like, what do you do? <laughs> I th- I guess, yeah, but the idea is that, you know, the idea is that... Uh, it doesn't matter what happens to his body because he was a bad guy. Yeah, is the yeah, idea. Of but, um, but yeah, it's like, it, imagine it's if weird. that worked and it's like, okay, now we've just brought a murderer back to life. Great, kill him again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we just hang him again. So it seems like a bit of a waste. Um, but that's quite. I think that's quite creepy, really. That yeah, the, yeah. the, the kind of the science is nearly there. But yeah, I mean, especially uh, like it just. You know, I mean, imagine the onlookers. Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously this, the tales of like, um, if you cut off a a, a head. Um, you can see his eyes moving yeah. and things like that for for a few seconds or thirty seconds, or whatever. After it dies, but um, there always like it takes a few seconds before you're truly brain dead. So it's like how much, you know, imagine yeah. you got your head chopped off. That's a quick movement. You're not going to go brain dead straight away. How much of yeah. that do you see? How much of that do you experience? Yeah. Like, cause we don't I don't, know, I don't want people, to find out. <laughs> the people die, so we don't know how how much like you experience. That is the most annoying you. thing about death is that you can't ask people. Well, there's also the thing, what was it, during the French Revolution where the, 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 the head bit, bit another head? Yeah, something about like, that. Well, now, um, now we go, it was just it was the muscle switching off to death or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it was a coincidence at the time because it was the head of a of political rivals or something like yeah. that. And, and so like, um, I, have, I have one last thing because I think we're running out of time. But I have one last thing um, to mention, which I did promise, so I'm going to carry on, uh, <laughs> about the, her writing the book physically. So she, so she had this ghost story thing and all this, this galvanism and everything behind her. Yeah. Um, to to build up the context of this book, uh, and then writing itself, she started writing it in 1816 after she told the story, and she was told that she was good to write it between 1816, when she was 18 years old, and 1818 when she released it, and she was 20. Released it by the way anonymously because she was a woman, so she probably wouldn't. Yeah. And then it only was um given 
only, only credited to her a few years later when she released it in Paris. Um, interestingly, yeah. but uh, yeah, so she released it and it was a massive success. Uh, and when she was writing it, so the two years she spent writing it, so of course her mother died in childbirth, so there was that played into it. Um, and also, um, she had a, her own child died, uh, which uh, they actually the 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 the, the um the Shelleys uh William Shelley was was with her son, and the Shelleys were so traumatized that they they kind of believed that they could bring people back to life because they wanted it to because yeah. they want their child to you know it's like pet cemetery, um but which obviously came after it and is inspired. Mm-hmm. By Frankenstein. Yeah. Look at that. Um, it, uh, at least in some way. I don't know if it's directly, but it, it is because it, obviously yeah. it's bringing people back to life. It's, that's kind of how Frankenstein works. Frankenstein's in everything like that. Um, and so she buried her own child, which is traumatizing. Christ, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and at the age of 18 to 20, like I'm not saying it's ever good, but she was a, she was only just, she was a young woman. Yeah. You know, this isn't pleasant. Um, and then, also, her own sister. She was literally at the time she was writing. She was looking after her own pregnant, ill sister. So there's a lot in this book, and the book, by the way, took nine months to write, as well. So there's a lot in this about birth and death and children, and there's a lot about how how um there's a lot written since about how Victor Frankenstein abandons his creature and the creature then escapes and is lost to the world for I think a couple of years actually. Yeah. Um. And, and traumatized, and you know he, everyone rejects him for his image, obviously. Um, and it's and there's a lot of in there that says about how our responsibility to children, responsibility to the next generation, and the fears of 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 our treatment of people and outsiders and things like that. So yeah. there's, there's quite a lot of interesting things in here. It's a very good book, and that's my last point I'll make. Is so um, that's the context of Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. Um, which I didn't get into the whole Prometheus thing, which is a Greek story, because uh, I have sort of run out of time. There's so much context, but I absolutely love it, and I do urge you to read it. And if you are interested in the context, which I I, I think is worth looking into, the British Library have some amazing resources on it, um, uh, and so that's worth a look if you if you get interested by this. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much for listening, uh, and uh, I'll leave you with this: Jack Nicholson keeps an axe by his front door in case he forgets his keys. On the 7th of August 1939, the front page headline of the Daily Express was No War This Year! Less than a month later, Britain and France were at war with Germany following its invasion of Poland. That's not a joke, that's a fact. It's a lot of those. There were were big, there were pro appeasement, um, and it obviously didn't work. No! So uh, that's quite embarrassing. And oh well. The Daily Express has never done anything <laughs> embarrassing ever since. <laughs> anyway, right. Well, thank you so much for listening. I thank you, Jamie, for for joining me. I of hope course. you found it interesting. I did. It was very um, interesting. I loved it. And uh, as I said, please, please go read Frankenstein if you like. I mean, I I think it's sold enough copies. I don't think I'm like trying to support a fledgling author or anything. <laughs> that. It's 200 years old. But um, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. I will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.